Welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, men's and boys' issues and more. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and our special guest today is Chrissy Foster. Chrissy worked for nine years as a public servant. She married Anthony Foster in 1980 and by 1985 they had three beautiful daughters, Emma, Katie and Amy. Chrissy's first book was published in 2010, describing her family's suffering as all became victims of clergy sex abuse. The book was called Hell on the Way to Heaven. Since then, Chrissy has fought hard for justice and redress from the Catholic Church. In 2018, Chrissy jointly won the Australian Human Rights Medal with the Chief Royal Commissioner, the Honourable Peter McClellan AM. And in 2019, she was made a member of the Order of Australia. Chris's new book is called Still Standing, A Mother's Fight to Bring the Catholic Church to Justice, co-written with Paul Kennedy. It is our privilege today to be joined by Chrissy Foster. Chrissy, welcome to Dads on the Air. Thanks so much, Bill. Chrissy, you've written some... uh, of the actions of the Catholic Church and its clergy, and you've faced so much hypocrisy and injustice. injustice. Do you think that if the Catholic Church had been accountable from the start, that they might even be better off now than they are? Uh, Certainly, yes, that's certainly the case. And if they had have acted in a responsible way uh, to protect children once they found out about um, this offending from priests and brothers, um, they would have been better off as well, but they never did. So it's quite a mystery, and I don't understand it, but that's what was happening for centuries. And they still don't accept it. I mean, you are, you're still treated by people like the Archbishop of Sydney as, as something of a pariah, I guess, aren't you? Uh, basically, yes. They don't want to hear the truth, I suppose. Um, they've always worked in secrecy, and um, that's held them in high esteem. Um, it's kept the funding coming coming in from governments. Um, it's they've kept their respectability, whereas they um, shouldn't have really. Yeah, you you wonder if in say fifty years time, if you know we're going to look back on this period and think what on earth were they doing? You know, when it it is so obvious the harm and the damage that's being done. I know, I know, and and. They, they never grasped that. They never protected the children, which I really don't understand because that's, you know, teachings of Christianity and the church is to protect children. I mean, basic civilizations protect children. It's just so basic, yet they totally missed it. And you'd be well aware of that because you were brought up a Catholic, so, you, you know, you've been hearing all this stuff while, while the, the opposite's been going on the whole time. That's exactly right. Um, you know, I was brought up in Catholic family, Catholic schools, uh, and we were all taught, you know, if we did this or that, um, 
and didn't go to confession and we died, we'd, we'd go to hell because we hadn't confessed it. And it was minor, minor things like missing mass on Sunday or stealing something. But at that same time, uh, here they were, um, you know, rife with abusers assaulting, sexually assaulting children, yet just letting that slide. Yeah, well, Cardinal Pell, who you've had many dealings with, he um, he asked right from the start, why was this focus on the Catholic Church? I think there's a good answer for that, isn't there? Well, yes. Uh, he claimed they weren't the only cat on the rank, but almost as a backlash to that, um, it was proven that they were basically the only cat on the rank. I think, as you point out at one stage in your book, um, the Church has, you know, centuries millennia of of um, selling uh, fairies and uh, fantasies, fantasies and fairy stories. So I guess they've they've got the advantage there that they want to get something across. Yes, well, it's um, made them the richest organisation in the world, and uh, you know, controlling people like that and um, being, you know, placing themselves in between uh, people and God and heaven, being the conduit for Catholics to get to heaven uh, because they make up rules that you have to go to Mass every Sunday and you have to go to confession if you break the rules. Um, The only person who can say the Mass is the priest. The only person who can hear your confession is the priest. So they've placed themselves between um, every person, every Catholic, and God. So when you have that franchise, that copyright, um, you know, it's made them the richest organisation in the world. Yes, uh, for the moment, um, although with uh, so much litigation brewing in the United States and actually all around the world, you you wonder, uh, maybe uh, does it still have a future? Well, should it have a future? I don't mm. know. Um, you know, they did this for so long, and if you look at the, you know, the evidence in the Royal Commission, there's just time after time after time that... They knew about it and um, just callously protected the offenders, moved them on, and then even promoted them in a lot of cases and recirculated them back into schools or into parishes where they re-offended. And this went on, well, in our case, uh, 50 years with O'Donnell and then you've got, um, well, just all the others. You can't mm. pick them out, though. All the same story, basically. Mm. Do you think that the problem is the celibacy that they insist on, or is it that maybe the church attracts these types of people? Well, I think celibacy has got a lot to do with it. If you compare the Catholic Church and the Anglican, priests are married in the, the Catholic Church. I don't think celibacy does that or creates a pedophile, but I do believe um, the call to be celibate attracts the wrong sort of person. Because if you've got a a career pedophile who only is attracted to children, they will not get married. They will never get married because they only want to have sex with children. So you've got that element that's attracted to um, such a job. And I think also that... um, you know, not uh, allowing priests to marry also has other people there that, that you know, aren't in the right mind, I don't think, to 
Uh, they've all got secrets, and I think they keep each other's secrets so um, that they're not exposed. What has been the biggest driver for your activist work? Uh, I just could not let it be. I just could not let them get away with it, basically, I suppose. Um, there was one month in our journey where um, the only offender in sight was O'Donnell, who at that time, the priest, Father Kevin O'Donnell, who was um, in prison at that time, um, and the psychiatrist for Remishes in the psych unit had said that um, Emma had been sexually abused, and it was, uh, or he believed that, and um, that was such a shock to us because we'd protected our girls so well. Um, so um, in between him saying, the psychiatrist saying that, and the only person it could have been was O'Donnell, who was in prison. But Emma had said, had not said who it was. So in another month's time, she did. But in that month, um, Anthony and I sort of went out to broken rights meetings and uh, studied this subject and looked at the church, I suppose, and all the complaints that had been up to that point in 1996. We started, I suppose, to believe it. You know, you'd hear it and mm. there'd be a big question mark, probably because I'm a Catholic. It'd be the same in every Catholic's mind because is that true or not? You know, it's so shocking. And then the church came, or priesthood came out with a um, the story that the the victims were liars after money, so there was that going around as well before this time I'm talking about. When Emma said, and we'd been studying what had been going on for that month, I was just so angry and ropeable that I had spent my whole life, and for generations our whole lives were spent, you know, kowtowing to the church and obeying and you know, being accused of being sinners and uh, sort of bad people and go to hell and all this sort of stuff. So we'd had this almost life of slavery to the, the church rules and regulations when at that same time and for centuries they had been committing these crimes and just not giving a damn about children. See, what they could have done was once they found out was get rid of them, laicise them, say, okay, um, you know, this is so bad, we don't want people like you in the priesthood, goodbye. Don't ring the police, don't report it, don't have the scandal, just get rid of them. But they never did that. They kept them and put them in another place where they kept it secret, where they re-offended. And then another time, more complaints, same guy, move him on to the next place, re-offended, doing that for 50 years. I still don't get it. I've written two mm. books about it. Still don't get it, you know. It, it's such a huge thing. It's so it's so hard to believe if you just come to it from that background, isn't it, that uh, you must, no wonder you had an uphill battle getting people to, uh, to believe it and support it. Well, I just walked away from the church and the people who were believing that the, uh, the victims were liars. I just couldn't stay in that environment. And I knew that was the attitude, so I just left. And, you know, I was fighting the church hierarchy. Mm, yeah. I don't have a problem with the church and Catholics 
um, I think they need to, you know, understand and get this because someone has to keep an eye on what's going on. But, yeah, I, I just left. Yes, and, and your mother left as well, so you, you were getting some support there, which is, you know, apart from Anthony, but, uh, you, you know, your family su- supported you, which is the good yeah, news, I suppose. it was wonderful, yes. I needed that, but I think I would have done it anyway. Mm. It was just like a primal urge. Um, I just had to do that, what I've done over these last 28 years or so. Mm. But I'm glad I've done it, and, um, yeah, so job done, as far as I'm concerned, I guess. The tigress. This is the, the stage of the show where we ask our guests if they'd like to pick a, a song for the program. So uh, we're speaking with Chrissy Foster, who's the author of the new book, Still Standing, A Mother's Fight to Bring the Catholic Church to Justice. Chrissy, have you got a song for us? I have, yes. Um, you Get What You Give by New Radicals, please.
the choice of music today by our special guest, Chrissy Foster. You get what you give by New Radicals. Chrissy, uh, we were just talking about your battle with the Catholic Church. And, I mean, it must have been hard enough when there were the two of you, when you had your, your lo- much-loved husband, Anthony, by your side. But when he died in 2017, did you feel like giving up then? I didn't feel like giving up, no. Um, it was such a shock. Um, and it's just so final, you know. He was there one minute. He was going off to do some work at our daughter Amy's house because uh, he was um, very good at building and electrical work. So he was going down to do that. And um, next thing, he's being rushed to hospital. You know, 15 minutes later, this happened um, it was just, yeah, um, world falling apart sort of thing. Mm. And, yeah, I sort of doubted I'd be able to sort of go on publicly about with with the issue because I wasn't the public speaker between the two of us. It was Anthony. I found it all very daunting and he came to the fore, you know, just an ordinary guy, good dad, great man, and a great dad too. And he just um, did it because he had to. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I just, I suppose, evolved into into the same thing, but I'm not as good as him. Yeah. Oh, you, you've done an extraordinary job. But, um, yeah, look, this uh, financial accountability of the Catholic Church was, was limited uh, because of what they call the the Ellis defence, um, yeah. used um, so enthusiastically by a Cardinal Pell, can you explain a little bit about how, what, how that works? The Ellis defence sort of came about from a a court case that John Ellis tried to sue the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church back in those days, or earlier from the nineteen nineties, uh, claimed. It didn't exist, sort of legally, so it didn't exist. And basically, you sort of had to prove otherwise. So he sort of took that on, and he sort of took it to the High Court. He sort of lost and appealed to the High Court, and the High Court ruled that the Catholic Properties Trust, which each state government has given to the Catholic Church to put their assets in, Um, So these um, property trusts contain a lot of money and property and he was trying to sue them um, for the damages done to himself because the offenders don't have any money and the archbishop isn't responsible for the offenders and it just goes back and forth. So that was the sort of only option to take. So he tried to do that and he failed and because he failed to sue the property trust, um, that became a precedent. So that stood until another case was fought and um, overruled that one. Mm. And was that ever going to happen? I don't know. So it sat there and it sat there. It was going to sit there forever, basically, um, until the Royal Commission came along. And and the Royal Commission has now removed the uh, the Ellis defence, has it? Well, um, it recommended that, and it was up to the state governments to 
change laws, I suppose, or create laws to yeah remove remove that limitation that have been placed there. Yeah, so so many good recommendations came out. The, another one was to remove the uh, protection of the confessional. I think I'm not sure how many states have introduced that either. Yeah, um, I think every state has done that. Every state oh, and territory. That was a big one. It was about um, reporting, mandatory reporting. But the church, when that law came in, the church stepped in and said, "Well, uh, we can't have that in our confession because we can't break the seal of the confessional." So um, they got an exemption. So what the Royal Commission was, recommended was that the states, um, because this is not federal, it's state, but the, um, the states remove that exemption. So they all did. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the other one, the Atlas Defence, um, I don't think all states have. Well, the church got some very good and expensive legal advice, no doubt, and they came up with a few tricks. Um, The one I was particularly taken with, which you describe, is this oath of secrecy, which overrides the oath in the Bible. So they can. I know. (laughs) That was incredible, that one, uh, when I learned about that. Yeah, that was um, delved into by the Royal Commission early on. Uh, I think it was the Alice defence, yeah, I think it was that court case because, um, you know, the witnesses, turns out, had to get permission from the Vatican or George Pell to tell the truth while they're under oath in the court of law. Um, On the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, astounding. It was really an eye-opener. And it really did, um, you know, because if they did get or if they were not granted permission to speak the truth, then that made it okay to say under oath, oh, yes, I have got permission and I'm telling the truth. Mm. You know, there's so, no end to it. No, it's catch-22, isn't it? It just it yeah. goes, it goes on and on. And the other one I liked was the mental reservation. I think I'll keep that in mind, that one there, where you, you, you got a reservation in your mind. It doesn't matter what you say, so, um, but, you know... You can be true to yourself somehow. Yeah, yeah, they justify these things, um, all the tricks of the trade that, um, yeah, if you're unaware of, it was, um, yeah, quite deceptive. And and there's a lot of that. I think I named them all in the Still Standing book, uh, which I discovered over the years. Yeah, there's, I mean, in in one way you need a sense of humour because you refer to this Canon 1321 under the the, the Catholic Church's law, which is that a a priest cannot be dismissed for pedophilia because he is a pedophile. Yeah. (laughs) You scratch your head after that one. I know. It's just all stitched up or seems that way, you know, it's that. That was it just blew me away, that one as well. I thought, oh, my goodness. That, that was um, not a lecture. I went to a, oh, a seminar or something. It was just a one-night thing, and he was the author, an ex-priest and author of a book, and, uh, yeah, he was um, explaining it and pointed out which kind of law it was. So I went home and looked it up and thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's a bit hard to read, but that, that was the, the crux of it, that, yeah, you can't um, dismiss a or laicise a pedophile priest because he is a pedophile. Like mm. he didn't mean to or something. I don't know what it meant, but why? But 
to they have all these rules to protect themselves and nothing to protect the children. And even when um, there's two priests, I write about two priests in still standing who um, reported the um, pedophile priests. I think one to the police and the other guy reported to the local newspaper. So it was in the um, newspaper. But um, those both of those priests were ostracised by their bishops and um, just really turned against and uh, both suicided, mm. eventually one after, I think, four years and one after 17 years. How do you feel when you hear people like the former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, describing Cardinal Pell as one of our country's greatest sons, a great hero and a saint for our times. Mm. Oh, just sickening. Mm. Just, I don't know, they're very good friends. Um, Abbott was a seminarian for some time, I don't know, a year or two. Then they said, oh, you should be a politician. So he was steered in that direction. Pell and him were very good friends. Uh, he'll be one. Abbott will be one that believes oh, that um, victims are liars after money, I guess. I don't mm. know. I don't know what he thinks. No, it's hard to work out what he thinks about anything. But, uh, yeah. but you're, uh, you're now an archivist rather than uh, an activist. Uh, what does that mean for your future in this area? I don't know. Um, I feel as though I've um, had my say and... Uh, still standing, I absolutely loved writing that and what you're saying, archiving. Um, it was a gathering together of so much that I got out of the Royal Commission and documents I already had, and the Royal Commission just unearthed so many um, gems of um, documents. And, of course, it was just cherry-picking um, the best bits and um, with a good memory of what had gone on in the past and things they'd said uh, was a bringing together of um, all these things and just uh, proving uh, with their own words, basically, their own um, failings, uh, criminality, hypocrisy, uh, just so much. So I really enjoyed writing this book. Look, that is great. And, and look, I can only recommend this book as a, a journal in history, um, Still Standing by Chrissy Foster. Unfortunately, we've run out of time today to uh, to talk about this this work, but um, it, it is a, a special privilege. And I'd like to thank our special guest, Chrissy Foster, for being a guest on the uh, program today. And we wish you all the best in this uh, in this new work you're doing now, Chrissy. Thanks, Bill. Thank you very much. All the best. And uh, don't forget, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, send us an email, we'll be in touch. If you'd like to listen to this show or any of our shows, go to your favourite podcast app or our website, dadsontheair.com.au, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. If this program has raised any concerns, please contact Lifeline on 13 1114, uh, Beyond Blue, 1300 224 636, or Suicide Callback Service, 1300 659 467. And we'll be back next week with another show on Dads on the Air.